Dear God. Okay. Oh, stand right. Give him space. Nicholas Cage, good or bad? A challenge, certainly, but not insolvable because all actors have distinct values, which I use to find answers. Abed, how much Nicholas Cage did you... Enough! I watched enough to find <laughs> the answers <laughs> because this, this is my reality. This is how I learned to be, and my being doesn't allow for Nicholas freaking Cage, okay? Yeah! Oh, yeah! Oh! 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 I'm a cat. I'm a sexy cat. freaked out by that that is a bit of a clue for what we're going to be talking about on the screen brum show today if you don't recognize it that was a clip from the tv series community in which one of the characters a film nerd was asked the question is nick cave a great actor or no nick cage not nick cave let's not get into that is nick cage a good actor or not and was driven slightly insane by trying to get the answer um, but we are made of sterner stuff, so here on the Screen Brum Show we're going to be addressing that very question today. We'll be looking at the work of Nick Cage and finding out whether he's genius. Well, no, we're not going to be finding out whether he's a genius or not, because it's just our opinion. And also, um, we'll just make it clear now that I think he is a genius and be done with it. So, um, that is where we are. This is the Screen Brum Show here on Brum Radio, where we talk about things with a screen and what it's taught us about life. And now we're going to find out about what Nick Cage has taught us about life. <laughs> now you're hearing some uh, rather uh, amused laughter. That is my co-host today, Mr Tim Wilson. Hello, Tim. Yes, uh, we are talking about Nick Cage today, aren't we? Nick Cage, not Nick Cave, or John although, Cage. Although that could be a good future episode. Well, be, I know there's one person listening that would be very interested uh, in that, and that would be... Lucy Beth. Uh, Lucy Beth is um, our regular co-host and uh, she's not here. She has been unwell and I know that we say that a lot and the purpose of the show has become largely a way for us to say get well soon to Lucy but we're saying it now. So get well soon Lucy and um, Lucy and anyone else listening can tweet us at Screen Brum. Let us know what you think about Nick Cage. I think there's going to be a general appreciation of his oeuvre. That's a very good word. Yeah, four decades, about 400 films a it's, year. It's, it's, <laughs> it's slightly, it's slightly, yeah. It's so there's got to be something for everybody, right? It should be. That's, should that's be. generally Nick there Cage. There should be someone. Well, Nick, I mean, Nick, I'm assuming, this is probably a big, big assumption, I'm assuming that everyone out there knows who Nick Cage is, Nicholas Cage. Now, I've got a little bit of um, the biography. Um, because I take this show very seriously, I've done extensive research on Wikipedia. I'm glad someone has. <laughs> and I'm going to find. I'm going to give you some little facts about it. Whether you knew 
any of these. Now, Nick Cage, he was born in 1964 as Nicholas Kim Coppola. Um, as he is. he is. He is. He's the nephew of Francis Ford Coppola. This is, this is his family pedigree. So Francis Ford Coppola is his uncle. His cousins are Sophia Coppola, Roman Coppola, both directors, excuse me, and actors Robert Carmine and Jason Schwartzman. Schwartzman. Um, now, he didn't want, apparently he did not want to be seen um, as getting his, uh, his acting break due to his Coppola name, so he changed it to uh, Nicolas Cage, and apparently he's inspired in part by the Marvel comic superhero Luke Cage. Now, superhero seems to play quite a large part in Nick Cage's life um, because uh, his son is called Cal-El, which is Superman's birth name. Didn't he once desperately want to play Superman? I think he wanted to play Superman, didn't he? Uh, that's a lost opportunity in the history of Hollywood, isn't it? There are many lost opportunities in the history of Hollywood. I mean, that Nick, is one. Nick Cage, there's probably any role would be fascinating to see Nick Cage in. I'd virtually pay to see... I go to the cinema to pay Nick Cage in yeah. virtually anything. Yeah. Well... Most things. So I think anything... <laughs> uh, he, he could do anything Meryl Streep has done. Um, so what's his career? Well, he started off with a minor role in Fast Times at Ridgemont High in 1982 with uh, Judge Reinhold and Sean Penn. And he hasn't really looked back since then. He has made... one. Well, on IMDb, looks at his acting credits, 103 films. I mean, I was thinking about sort of method actors of a similar... Stature, like uh, Daniel Day-Lewis. I mean, he's probably made about 10. I don't know how many, but um, in, in 103 films. And he's got six films already in production for this year. Um, and in the last 10 years alone, 46 movies. Now, listen to this. Name them. Well, <laughs> I'll tell you, the, the, the one that, that caught my eye, this is, I mean, this is, if this is not a classic Cage film, this is the, the title of the film. The film is called Pig. And the description is, a truffle hunter who lives alone in the Oregonian wilderness must return to his past in Portland in search of his beloved foraging pig after she is kidnapped. Come on. If anyone's going to track down a kidnapped pig, <laughs> he's also going to be in play a truffle hunter. This year he's going to be in um, a film called Wally's Wonderland where... A quiet drifter is tricked into a janitorial job at the now-condemned Wally's Wonderland. The mundane tasks suddenly become an all-out fight for survival against wave after wave of demonic and animatronics. Fists fly, kicks land, titans clash, the only, and only one side will make it out alive. I always, I think that you want to write these synopses. It's a kind of a, yeah, that's very... I'd, I'd, yeah. I'd, you know, I, I'm, well, I've just got, I just want to be... Um, I just want to be trailer voice man. That's my main role in life. Um, right, we're going to be talking Nick Cage, but I want to actually start off with some um, rather nice music which I found um, whilst I was sort of looking around for Nick Cage. I'm going to play this um, for you now, and um, I don't know anything about the artist called O2. I don't think they're related to the brand. Um, and uh, no, is that O2? Yeah, it is. And um, it's called Nicholas Cage, and I think it's rather nice. So, what do you think? Oh, am I doing the Nicholas Cage thing? She want me to steal the declaration. Said I wouldn't do it, but I gave it. But daddy rich, but I make dollars, but that's just the way it won't be. What's good? What, what happened? 
What happened indeed? Nicholas Cage by O2. Love that. Gives us a real sense of the man. Um, so, yeah, we're here talking Nicholas Cage here on uh, Brum Radio. A few more facts, Tim, about uh, Nick Nicholas Cage. Uh, he described his acting style as nouveau shamanic, um, which, right. as far as I can see, seems to entail some extreme method acting. Uh, apparently, according to Wikipedia, for the film Birdie, in order to physically feel the pain of his character, who was a Vietnam uh, War veteran, Cage removed two teeth without any anaesthesia. Nice. Uh, and he also spent five weeks with his face wrapped in bandages. And when he took the bandages off, his skin was infected because of acne and growing hair. And this one's particularly odd. He made a film called Vampire's Kiss quite early on in his career, which I think neither of us have seen, have but we? But Lucy has. We've been told that it's something we must watch. Um, the casting director, Marcia Shulman, declared that um, Cage asked to have hot yoghurt poured over his toes to get excited during a love scene with Jennifer Beals. Hot yoghurt? Hot yoghurt, apparently. I thought hot candle wax and body of evidence was bad enough. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. hot... I mean... Is it, I mean, what is hot yogurt anyway? I mean, that you sounds yogurt in a saucepan warmed up. Yeah, but why? Then, no, I don't know. You know, but why not just use like warm water? I don't know. You know brings a new meaning to lactose intolerant. Um, oh, toes! I like it. That was very lactose. clever. Toes. Yeah, 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 very good. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Um, in two thousand, uh, in twenty ten, he um, he coated his face in corpse paint and sported a costume in, in Egyptian symbols and magical amulets for Ghost Rider: Spirit of Vengeance. He studied. I saw the sequel to Ghost Rider. Sorry, that's what the sequel is called. Is it Ghost Rider: Spirit, Spirit of Vengeance? I think yeah, so. I, I, that's yeah. another super, uh, superhero type film, isn't it? I just known it as Ghost Rider Two. But he studied really. Brazilian Jiu Jitsu uh, under the UFC champion Royce Gracie for his role in action films. <laughs> and uh, during this one, this one's particularly odd. During an interview for 2013 for promoting the film Joe. Uh, Cage revealed that uh, he followed a diet based on red meat and steaks to gain weight for the role and to identify himself as a carnivore. But yeah, the man puts in the effort. He is uh, one of the more fascinating men in the acting profession, isn't he? Absolutely. One would would definitely say uh, one of the more remarkable careers. It, absolutely. I mean, I, I've, I, I'd like to talk through his career uh, in a kind of chronological order today. Yes. Because I have identified quite conveniently, because we always break our recommendations into five, five distinct phases in the career. Phases. 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 In the career of Mr. Cage. Yeah. So we're going to be doing that. We're going to talk through, we're going to identify five films. Whether they're the best films or not, whether or not they are our favourite films, it's also different. It's the films that maybe embody something about the. Uh, I feel like there should be a name for the study of of Nick Cage, you know, like Cageism or something. Um, if you can think of one, let us know at mm. Screen Brum. But but Tim, I rather boldly announced quite happily that he was um, an acting genius. Uh, I'm going to stick with that. But do you agree with me? Yes. By and large. By and large. I mean, when I, w- when I went through his films, The Great Ones and The Turkeys, I'm reminded by what a phenomenon he is. Um, he's one of those actors who you will bear with even when the film is going hay- haywire around him. He is also one of those actors you will bear with when he is going haywire and the film isn't. Um, I love that he seemingly has no regard for A-list status, even though kind of there was a point in the 90s where he was on that 
cusp. It's an Oscar of, winner. Let's not he's forget. He's an Oscar winner. You know, in 1996, he won Best Actor for Leaving Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. He's also won number of golden raspberries. Um, but this is the kind of, this is the phenomenon of the guy. He is um, not predictable. Um, but as he said, when he, uh, I will say this, this is quite interesting. He said this in his speech, the Oscars. I know it's not hip to say it, but I just love acting and I hope there'll be more encouragement for alternative movies where we can experiment and fast forward into the future of acting. Well, that's genuinely what I think, uh, um, what I think marks him out. He genuinely has done something new with acting, I think. Yeah. You know, he's, he doesn't, you know, he, he, he's not there trying to create some money that you imagine ex- exists in real life, but he creates a mood, he creates a sense. Yeah. Um, and I, I would I don't want to say this, that, you know, um, those who have seen his recent films, you know, whether it's... Both of you. You know, yeah. No, it's unfair. Uh, it's unfair. I'm uh, sure they're very popular. Know, mum and dad, Mandy, all that kind of... They'll testify to the fact that he's never lost any of those on-screen charms. They're as strong as ever. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know... I would, you know, I would call him the equivalent of a sort of uh, a zany heavy metal album, which is kind of lied, li- 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 lies large at the style of his acting. Yeah, um, and, and also, he, you know, he he was um, voted in 2013 um, the best actor in the world by uh, one of China's foremost award ceremonies. Well, there you go. You know, if, if China China relate to it, then that says a lot. It's universal. It's universal. Um, I I had a thought today. I thought, well, you know what. It's a scary world out there. You know, it's a frightening time. You look at the news at the moment. Everything seems, everything seems terrifying. It's it's frightening, but it, you can't take your eyes off it. Um, it's also kind of also exhilarating seeing what you know. You don't know what's going to happen next. Maybe something amazing is going to occur. You know, and and therefore. Nicolas Cage kind of embodies modern life, right? That's that's exactly <laughs> a description of of him. You never know what you're going to get. It could be phenomenal. It could be terrifying, but it's going to be interesting. I, I think it's summed up in observing the gifts that we've been looking at before coming into the show today mm. and putting them on Twitter. Some truly hilarious facial expressions. He is the most probably the most memorable act, memorable actor out there, you know? I watched um, uh, a, a clip this week of, of someone... Memeable. Is it some, meme or meme? I think it's meme. Memeable. It's meme, isn't it? So somebody I, mean, I heard... Meme, amenable. Amenable. He, is, he seems I'm very full, amenable as well. Puns. I'm full of puns. Um, yeah, don't, don't worry about that. We'll turn his mic down. Um, I saw this... I saw this got the volume. I saw this clip earlier on of you know, <laughs> some of his most mad moments. And there was, there was one film he, he was in, one of his more recent ones, where he'd obviously... There was obviously been a... Uh, a plane crash and he was running around the wreckage of this plane crash trying to find someone and somebody was running out of the the wreckage completely on fire and sort of run past him and and nudged him and he appeared to be shouting at this guy in a sense of hey watch where you're going this guy was completely on fire and he thought he's probably probably got other things on his mind um But you know what? I'm never going to say anything bad about him. I just, we may just stress that this is not a a, um, a criticism of the man. Um, we're going to be going through his films, and um, we're going to be having some thoughts on those, and we're going to be playing some music. Because one of the things we'll say, he, I've been looking at, um, at some of the music from his film soundtracks. He seems to whoever it is, you know, if it's him who's picking it, but he. he He's right up my street. Very lots of old rock and roll and, and lots of cool music, and I love it. So I'm going to start with one from. Um, his earliest uh, film credit, um, I believe, which is Fast Times at Ridgemont High. So let's start with 
a little bit of Stevie Nicks. Right, Hollywood, where is my Stevie Nicks biopic, you cowards? I want to see it now. Only Stevie Nicks can play Stevie Nicks. I know, I know, this is true. No one else can capture the scariness and the uh, the craziness. Wouldn't it wouldn't, wouldn't be an amazing, just like a really sort of tight, intimate drama of just the making of rumours? And just like I think there would be a lot of silence in the room. <laughs> Lots of things being thrown at the wall. Whilst Mick Fleetwood's going, come on, we've got to finish the album, stop oh. <laughs> stop, stop tearing stop. it to the apart. Um, on the album, not not together. Um, so that was a Sleeping Angel from Fast Times at Ridgemont High, the the film debut of one Nicholas Cage, Nicholas Kim Coppola. Now we're going to be doing our top fives, and I'm going to start off, if I may, Tim, um, with the kind of. And I say I'm going through this chronologically, so I'm going to do the one that that kind of embodies the first stage. Of the evolution of Cage. I'm going with you. I'm going with you. And that is Peggy Sue Got Married. Oh, good, good. 1986's film. So it's not his first, but but early on in his career. Yeah. Directed by um, Francis Ford Coppola. Not saying there's any nepotism involved there, but it was a a family affair. Um, He's worked with everyone, man. Yeah, this is true. And Kathleen Turner um, is with it. The film, if you haven't seen it, um, it's about a woman on the way to her 25th, a 25 year high school reunion. And she goes and then she passes out and she wakes up and she's back in 1960 um, in her high school. Um, there's a sort of um, a, a implication from what I've read that they that, that she found quite... Uh, Kathleen Turner found working with um, Nick Cage difficult, but there was a legal um, case around the, the detail of that, so I'm certainly not going to go into it. Um one of one of my favourite films because um, it just has all my favourite kind of one of my favourite of his films. One of, it has all my kind of hits all my buttons. I think it's sort of it's got all the early rock and roll music and all the cool cars and the cool clothes of the early sixties. Uh, but it also got like time travel. It's got this whole thing about second chances and you know what would you do if you could live your life again? And of course, it's got Nicolas Cage in it. It's also got Jim Carrey in it, which you might not remember. No, I don't know. No. Um, and it is, um, you know, it's it's a romantic, it's comedy, um, it's it's nostalgic. You know, it's, you know, it's not, it's not one of my all-time favourite films, but it's a great film. And what I do think it embodies in this, in this Nick Cage thing we're talking about is Nick Cage as a, if you like, ordinary actor um as in the film is not is not based around him he's not the main star of it and it's not a kind of entirely a vehicle for for a nick cage acting masterclass which isn't a criticism but it's more of a case where if you like he's an ordinary he's an ordinary actor he doesn't have any of the baggage that we we or or, or reputation that he later has he's just this um this figure within it. So um, that's kind of what I want to use as my kind of jumping off point. So if you want to judge the start point, if you like, um, of the early cage, then that would be my recommendation. Peggy Sue got married. Very atypical for Francis Ford Coppola's mm. film. I think it was very much in that um, uh, mid, mid-80s kind of uh, look back at nostalgia. You know, there was a lot of films that were doing it at the time, of course, Back to the Future. Back to the Future is the, the same kind of story. Um, yeah. But of course, um, yeah, it, 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 
but of course it, it may have you can see it as a response to Back to the Future in some regards but with Kathleen Turner who I think is brilliant in this mm-hmm. and of course she's brilliant in everything but um, yeah it's a lovely little comedy yeah. and it's a lovely little film and, uh, and as I say as I say it, it, it stand, you know, stands apart from what Francis Ford Coppola had done that to that date. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you would be slightly surprised to discover that it's a Francis Ford Coppola movie and, um, you know, the ability for people to, to do a little bit of interesting performing as well because then, they're playing um, themselves at two different ages and so forth. It's quite interesting, though, you think about it. Um, you know, he was in the, you know, he was in the, uh, the sort of the, the brotherhood alongside George Lucas that who did American Graffiti, which you'd also, you'd think, would stand differently from what you know George Lucas to have done. Yeah. Sub afterwards, yeah, and, so, and, you know, and very nostalgic, in and the very same nostalgic yeah. in the same way, even though it was many, many, many years earlier. Um, yeah, so you're proving, yeah, generally. Yeah. It's, I, I don't, I haven't seen it for many, many years, mm. but yeah, I remember Kathleen Turner being brilliant. In mm-hmm. it. Don't remember much about Nick Cage. Do you have a strange voice in it? I can't remember. He did. He put on a kind of vocal strange. fry thing. I yeah, think, yeah, slightly strange voice. Uh, I think he did do a slightly odd, odd voice, but. Um, <laughs> But, you know, he's a, an amazing actor. Is, I would stress yeah. that millions of times. So, yeah, that is my uh, my first choice for people to recommend is the start on our cage journey with Peggy Sue Got Married from 1986. Cool. Tim, have you got a contribution for us? Yeah, I think I'm I'm not going to do a top five. I'm going to play along with your uh, your your timeline okay. journey. So I'm going to start with a film a year later. Mm-hmm. You might know where I'm going. Um, uh, 1987 was uh, the year of raising Arizona. Mm-hmm. Have you got that on your list? I haven't. I, I don't, I'm not a big fan particularly. I'm going to hate it, but I just, you know. Okay. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to um, put up the. Uh, no, no, def- no defense required. This yeah. is, this no, is, no, this is up. For me, this is up in the pantheon of great Coen Brothers films, and that's a very extensive pantheon. Anyhow, mm. um, okay. This is the story of. Um, a husband, a gentle ex-con, played by Nicolas Cage, and uh, a wife, played by Holly Hunter, who is infertile. And it's the story of um, the silly things that they have to do to overcome it, i.e. they kidnap a quintuplet on the basic idea that is um, on the premise that his real parent, that his real parent, that his real parents already have more than they can handle. Um, and there are many things in this film that are Coen Brothers staples. Eccentric dialogue, uh, Carter Burwell's school score. Actually, this is one of the more inventive. This is very not. This is not so typical to say some of some of the Carter Burwell string big mm. kind of Burwell schools. This has got like um, a lot of country esque in- instrumentation. Um, it has yodeling and whistling and organs. It kind of uh, feels like um, it has a kind of a Morricone esque kind of energy to it it's kind of cool it's pretty mm. good and the other thing that really stands out in this film and, it, and maybe the, actually the, the, the actual star of the film is Barry Sonnenfeld's DOP work you know it's full of shaky cam and there are a lot of um, iconic sequences you get this really cool scene where you see things see the world from the perspective of a baby an infant mm. um, there's the um, iconic chase sequence that kind of epitomizes everything that's great about the movie you know the comic ingenuity of the Coen brothers the camera work the um the score you know it's um and i just to say i look i i i think that the the other thing is the troupe of of cohen brothers actors that you see what has it hasn't it got who are the, the, the francis sort of ba- two baddies in it who are like the am i am i right in this there's some sort of classic you know cohen brothers kind of uh, yeah 
no. com- comedy baddies. Yeah, so one one of those baddies is uh, John Goodman. That's right. Yeah. And he plays this character. Um, this, I mean, John Goodman is the, is the steals the show almost in his. Um, he plays this character called um, Gail Snow. He's like a, a re- self released self released convict, right? <laughs> and um, a great term. And, he, and he's you know, he's just his watching John Goodman going berserk is just the, uh, almost the steal point of the film. Um, and. I think you see an early you see an early performance also by Frances McDormand who plays a kind of mum from hell. And that time, I think he was she was married. To, I've forgotten which Cohen brother she was married to. I think it was Joel mm. she, that she was married to. Um, but you know, going back to Cage, you know, because this is about Cage, not about the film. Uh, this is about Cage's performance. And again, one of the traits I love about Nicolas Cage and his, his portrayal of High Madonna, right? He he's a person who basically, you know, with Cage, it's a person whose heart is often in the right place. Mm-hmm. Clearly, this heart is in the right place, but does very stupid things. Well, like you know, kidnapping is quite uh, bad. Um, I can't. Pr- I'm not going to try and um, impersonate Cage, but he says in the film one, one line is like, "Biology and the prejudices of others conspired to keep us childless." Mm. Biology and the prejudice. Well, you know. Anyway, uh, so it leads them into situations where they are basically way over their heads, um, kind of. You know, Cohen. They like, Cohen brothers are very literary in their pretensions, so it's kind of like a Greek tragedy. But funny. Um, I'm not saying Greek tragedies aren't funny, but they are tragedies. Um, so, and also, do you think on paper, the Cage and the Coens would seem like a great match, right? Yeah. But this was the only time they worked together. Well, this was the last time, sorry, that they worked together. They, they, um, either I think they had a fractious relationship. And the other interesting fact, you like facts, don't you? They didn't want Nick Cage originally for this role. They wanted Kevin Costner. Now that... I can't see how say. that worked. I cannot see this that. Was this, this was Kevin Costner at the time. I think Kevin Costner at that time was doing amazing work. You know, you think about it. He was doing uh, No Way Out. Brilliant yeah. film. The Untouchables. Excellent. Yeah. You pull a knife. You pull a gun. You pull a knife. You pull a gun. Sorry, I'm not doing Sean Connery. Um, and the other thing also is, you know, you just think Cohen's have a kind of crazy literary kind of zany wacky nature yeah. you'd think yeah, yeah you'd think that that you know that again one the one time that nick cage or the last time that nick cage gets to work with the cohen brothers right so um yeah again though he's worked with everyone you've just put coppola out you've yeah. got the cohen brothers and there's a few more amazing directors to come so uh yeah that's a really it's a that's a really popular film isn't it yeah the, the raising Arizona. and it ticks a lot of cage craziness boxes that he has this less crazy hair crazy hair it's a big part uh, there are dream sequences. Um, he wears uh, this is one. This is this is brilliant standout scene where Cage is wearing a jumpsuit um, that he wears as his job that bears the lader, label Hudsucker Industries. You know, little sorry, yeah, which brings a little hint of something that's coming. You know, film wise, yeah. you know, there's a lot of suitable quirks. Yeah. You know that sum up Cage in this film and some of the Coen Brothers. So. He wears a leather jacket, which you know, he, no one wears a leather jacket better, really. He wears leather jackets, yeah. Best five leather jacket wearing scenes in Nick Cage. No, no. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a big list. That's next time. Next time. Yeah. Fantastic choice. I'm going to play some music from it um, in light of that, Tim. I'm going to play uh, Pete Seeger. Um, and uh, this is the goofing off, well, part of the goofing off suite. I'll give you an idea of that. This sums up the whole, yeah. Yeah. Bit of banjo. Is it banjo? I don't know. There we had a 
little bit of Pete Seeger, the goofing off theme, which is featured in the film Raising Arizona, one of our Nick Cage classics. I always think of him, whenever I think of Nick Cage, he always seems to be in the desert. He's in the desert in that one and in Wild at Heart as well, which I'm sure we will come on to. Um, Thank you for your tweets, those of you that are tweeting in. We appreciate uh, your comments. Um, James Luxford has tweeted in. Now, this is something which came up with me. So James Luxford said, Nick Cage takes partner to visit his tomb while planning the forthcoming film where he plays himself reenacting past Nicolas Cage roles. So, I mean, this is just sort of head spinning. What? I, I Googled this morning when I was just you know, preparing for the show, I did a bit of Google, Nick Cage, to see what the first headline came up. And the first headline was as follows. This is what James Lux was talking about. Nicolas Cage spotted visiting his own New Orleans tomb with Mystery Woman. The face-off actor previously purchased two castles, a private island, shrunken pick-me-heads, and a $150,000 pet octopus. Um, yeah, he's apparently he's got, he's, he's got his own tomb, you know, ready for him. And um, he's, he's spotted visiting it. But yeah, he's got a film coming out where he plays, some, he plays himself, um, who's been invited by a superfan... To, he's been paid a million dollars to play a, to be a, a super fan's party or something, playing all his previous iconic characters. Um, I mean, phew, just take my money now. I mean, what a, what a, what a guy, what a guy. <laughs> Again, you remember this was someone who was making major, big blockbuster Hollywood films not that long ago, and uh, he's happy to to do things like this. Um, all power to the guy. So there we are. That was. Um, our first choices um, for our Nick Cage a thon. But that was so there we had him. We had him as a kind of quirky actor in the start there. So we've, we've got two two roles that embody that quite well. We had uh, Peggy Sue got married, or two films rather. Peggy Sue got married, and then we got um, we had um, Raising Arizona. And in um, then he kind of moves into perhaps a second phase, which is a very common trajectory. Uh, for for Hollywood actors and a kind of leading man kind of role, right? He's you know he's a good-looking chap. He's got you know, he's got the cheekbones and all the rest of it. He's moving into the kind of leading man uh, sort of space. Um, although he has the acting chops to do anything at all, that's kind of where he he found himself a little bit later on. I would argue. I'm, I'm looking. I'm talking here about 1993, and the film I'm talking about as a kind of example of this is Red Rock West. Directed by John Dahl. It's a kind of classic neo noir, uh, dusty again. I approve. Deserty, um, and lots of big acting um, with Dennis Hopper uh, also in it, who's who's another character, another actor who you know gave, always you know gave one million percent uh, to the role. It's kind of western meets film noir. It's dusty. It's seedy. Um, it's that kind of. So it feels like 80s or, you know, um, 90s kind of modern take on the noir genre. John Dahl, who directed that, had a rich seam of this stuff. He also directed uh, Kill Me Again and The Last Seduction, which is just about as noir as you can get. Um, And so the story is, uh, you know, eminently spoilable, so I won't give you too much. But it's it's a crime thriller in a kind of dusty, seedy um, environment and what we have there is Nick Cage doing you know very good work as as a kind of you know full of slightly uh, you know ambiguous hero um, and it's 
you know, it's it's a completely, you know, I don't think it set the world on fire at the time, but it is it's been um, regularly watched since I think as a kind of um, yeah, perfectly um, perfectly good crime thriller. Um, and again, I'm saying all these things with the hindsight of memory. Nick Cage is kind of reflecting my career as a film watcher as well. <laughs> so I see these things as sort of, uh, you know, similar times. I remember, you know, watching things like Peggy Sue Got Married when I was a teenager and then moving into this type of thing when I was uh, a uh, uh, angst-ridden 20-something. So, um, you know, it's quite nice to be able to follow it. So, Tim, um, you, you mentioned you approve. I'm very glad to hear it. I'm, I love John Dahl films, so I'm glad you've mentioned that. I mean, um, Last Deductions. Genius. Um, but, yeah, this film kind of... Uh, what I like about John Dahl is he he, 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 his, he, he kind of flips genres. Mm. You know, at the heart of it is a, a film that is kind of one-part film noir, a bit of black comedy, a bit of thriller. Mm, bit, bit of western. A bit of western road movie. Yeah. Um, Romance. Yeah. And again, um, where I'm going with my next choice, there's a kind of a tie-in between the idea of road movies and their kind of... Um, I, actually, there's one thing we kind of pick up on all these films is that he's very um, he's a, an exponent of Americana, isn't he? He's one of the most... Um, his film, you know, he kind of um, encapsulates that. Uh, in every, you know, so many most of his films have that. Kind oh of yeah, experiment. like I say, I always kind of um, you always see him if you picture him in your mind. I always see him in an open top car in a kind of wide open desert, you know, with with a, a leather jacket on and rock and roll music playing. Yeah. It's just yeah, he's he's Americana writ large. Yeah, and again, it's the I would say you know I know you're saying it's when he's becoming he's becoming a leading man here and then developing his you know, stance as a great Hollywood actor, but, you know, he was st- I would say he's still a couple of years away from the big mainstream. I guess mm. it's like the next, next strand. Yeah. yeah, this so, is his sort of, this uh, is his building a reputation and as the, a you know, the, solid leading man. John Doll films are always, un- for me, they're kind of, they're little gems and they always remain under the radar of the mainstream. Um, they're very low budget, predominantly, but done so well mm. and done with, um, um, d- yeah, they're all little treasures. Mm-hmm. I think they all need to be discovered, so. I, I really approve that your choice yeah. oh. hasn't made my five, but that's just you know I, I've I think I've overlooked this. So uh, thank you for bringing that. Into well, like opinion. I say, with a, with 103 films to choose from, it's difficult. It is difficult, and so that's why I've kind of gone with this idea. I mean, I've certainly not seen them all. Let's just stress, stress that. Um, um, yeah. I, I think you would you'd probably be hard pressed to see. Well, I'm sure somebody has, but it's uh, there's a lot to get through, and he's pretty much releasing them in real time these yeah. days. So you'd be pretty much willing to keep up. I mean, I um, that you know, there's um, there's a film, um, you know, the Red Rock Rest, and then um, uh, there's a film I want. There's films I haven't seen in that intervening time. I haven't seen Vampire's Kiss, which um, Lucy likes. Lucy Beth tells us is a treat. Yeah, and there's a very crazy film, which actually I don't think is particularly uh, great. There's a there's a there's a, a film that I've been told I must see, which is a, a director video erotic thriller called Zanderly. Mm. Uh, from from 1991, which um, again, Lucy, have you seen Zanderley? I've got a vague feeling that's got um, um, oh gosh, what's his name? That guy out of um, Billy Zane in it. Am I imagining that? Am I similar kind of uh, Billy Zane? Billy Zane. Billy Zane. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, but I'm 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 going back to 1990. I think you know where I'm going um, because I, if Lucy was here, I think she'd be talking about this as well. Um, is, it, um, is there a is there a DL 
There's uh, a DL initials involved. Initials involved yeah. I think, okay, I so um, yeah, I think you know where we're going, and I think many of you will uh, relate to the, uh, the fact that Wild at Heart is quintessential Lynch, right? And um, so we're talking about 1990s film Wild at Heart, yes, directed by David Lynch and uh, featuring. Who's the female lead in that? Nick, Nick Cage and Laura Dern and a whole host of other amazing actors I wish I'll talk about. So, um, so yeah, Wild at Heart is audacious, it's eccentric, it's nightmarish, it's a road movie. As many things are with Lynch, the road is the drive and soul of many of his films. And it's a sort of Lynchian Bonnie and Clyde, for want of a better word, what, uh, want of a better comparison. And it's also a love story. But like all Lynch love stories, it's dark, it's weird, it has, it has a, twisted under, a twisted underbelly, and, and it's, yet it's still very profound. Um, so um, it's a road movie. and um, It's got Willem Dafoe with the worst teeth you've ever seen. Yeah, I'll, tell you, I'll talk about Willem Dafoe in a moment. I haven't sure. actually seen it. Okay. I'm going to stress that. I've just watched some clips um, in preparation for this. I have not seen the film. No. I'm, I'm told that is a terrible admission. It is an awful emission, mate. Um, but you should definitely get to see it. Anyway, um, <laughs> um, the film continues uh, many Lynch... Ma- uh, for me, it's almost, you know, it, it continues on from many of the aspects of Blue Velvet in that you are seeing light and shade in America. You start off... But, of course, the difference between Blue Velvet, of course, Blue Velvet starts off with this um, suburban American scene and then dig, digs into the soil... This film starts off with Nick Cage pummeling the hell out of killing someone in the most one of the most brutal beat beaten beat beatings you'll ever see this in this uh, side of the cinema, but doing it in a kind of heavy metal soundtrack way, and it, it's basically setting up the character of Sailor as this unhinged uh, rock and roll figure um, with a with a crazy grin and uh, a lust for something. Life is not quite the word, but he, he he definitely lives. But whether life is what he's looking for, I don't know. But anyway, he is in love with Laura Dern. Who, um, who isn't? I'm. Well, I think everyone should be in love with Laura Dern, yeah. frankly. Who is and um, chased? Who's, this film basically is is a, a road a Bonnie and Clyde story. Of these two characters, Laura Dern's mum. Um, well, sorry, Laura Dern's character, she has a very dark past. She's a teenager. She got raped as a 13-year-old. Um, her mum um, is particularly dark, played by Diane Ladd, who is actually Laura Dern's mum in real life, um, and sends out two people to kill um, Sailor because he doesn't approve of uh, Nick, Nick Cage being with her. Um, but in this first hour of the film you get this setup he comes out of prison having served for beating this guy up they are on this road trip they're going on all sorts of create there's all sorts of lynchian lynchian um scenes around um you know clubs and quirky characters there's this um brilliant um there's this brilliant scene where um Cage's character is uh, singing Elvis's Love Me with the help of Metal Man, Power Mad. It's very, very funny. Um, but again, um, the film turns on a level of insanity and ferocity, right? And classic, there's light and shade. There's visually very nostalgic things um, look towards Americana and how America should be, but isn't. Um, Lynch is poking a lot of uh, f- fun at the at us, the audience, like he always does. But he's also showing up the greed and the corruption that exists in America. Um, the performances are all universally ama- amazing. I talked about Daryl, Daryl, Diane Ladd. Um, 
and the only actually she's the only mum or female character I've seen to date with a self harm with lipstick scene in the history of cinema. Um, uh, correct me, please, if I'm wrong. Harry Dean Stanton, of course, a Lynch firm regular, plays a lawn torn detective who goes after them. And of course, you've mentioned this. Willem Dafoe uh, plays this crazed killer who also um, one of the best scenes, uh, you know, in a, in, a, in a scene that kind of evokes scanners, but evokes more alien alien and chest bursting, is the scene where he blows his head off. It's one of the best head-blowing scenes you'll ever see. <laughs> and it's also uh, quite blunt and quite funny, um, if you have that humour like I do. Um, but anyway, the film resonates. It shows decadence and folly in a way that Lynch can only do, and I really like it. And and Nick Cage in there is kind of moving into that, or so showing the first signs of that incredibly big acting, isn't it? That that huge like force of nature character that's just you know so far larger than life that it's yeah. should be terrible, but manages to imbue it with a real humanity. Yeah, I am. I think that Nick Cage is allowed to be that crazy character that we start to become very, very familiar with in this film, you know, um, and he is unhinged, uncaged, um, for want of a better term. Uh, and I, I know I could go on all day about Lynchian metaphors, you know, there's also a use of flame, you know, he does this a lot, you know, there are flames, the spark, the... Um, you know, it's a flame that lights the thousand cigarettes smoked in the film's running time. There's a lot of smoking in this film. It gives you lung cancer watching it, quite literally. Um, uh, uh, not literally. Not literally. Uh, sorry. For legal reasons, I'm a stress. I out. I'm being. I'm getting. Into, I'm getting over enthusiastic. Mm, that's um, very. It's very Nick Cage of you. Yes, thank you. So, and the music is amazing. You know, it can spin on a sixpence between Chris Isaac and um, Death Metal. You know, and I I love that. And it's and it's be- beautifully. It's very. And again, as we say, typical Nick Cage. It's very American. Very, very American, but very dark. There is there is nothing more American than this. This is this is from the soundtrack to um, Wild at Heart, and we play this as a special tribute to uh, Lucy Beth, who once again we hope gets well very soon. Treat me like a fool. Treat me mean and cruel. Oh yeah. That's Elvis Presley, of course, the king, singing uh, Love Me from the soundtrack to... Well, I'm not sure if that's the particular version from the um, soundtrack to um, Wild at Heart. Um, In Wild at Heart, the film, um, he is helped um, by Nick Cage singing with him. I think we... You know, we'll have to just make do with just the king. Um, I don't think that's too much of a downgrade, uh, which is not a criticism of Nick Cage. So there we had it. We've we've sort of been we're having a little overview of of Nick Cage's the five stages of Cage, Cage Cages of life. I don't know. I've got to work on it. Um, so we've gone. We, we've had him as a kind of. It's quite difficult to say five stages of Cage. Starting an actor, but you know, it's not it's not a straightforward linear uh, path because, as Tim has just pointed out, there in the um, Wild at Heart, you know, we're really seeing some of this huge, huge Nick Cage, um, you know, acting and things that you think, gosh, that shouldn't work. I'll give you an example of this now. This is a clip from uh, one of his uh, later very big. Um, successful films, National Treasure. Oh um, well, 
I enjoyed it. It's actually. brilliant. I have no problem with it at all. Um, it's great. But listen to him in this, right? He, he plays somebody trying to cause a scene in order to to create a disturbance or distraction. Um, and and the, just the way he says the word whiskey, right? Just listen to it. It's, 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 it's unique. Oops, hang on a minute. It helps certainly if I press the right button. Ben! Good afternoon, sir. Hello. Been drinking, have we? Just a nip. Just pop down to the pub for a pint. Bit of all right. Going to arrest a man for that. Going to detain a blighter for enjoying his whiskey. It's all right, that's enough, sir. Beggars and mash. Sir? Balls and squeak. What? Smoke your pie. Sir? Haggis! That's it! Almost what? Like... Almost like it's almost as, it's almost like Stewie, our family guy, it's, isn't it's it? It's brilliant. Um, it's crazy. But you know, uh, you believe in everything you do. And National Treasure, I believe. Am I, am I right in imagining they're going to make another one of those? I think they've made a couple already. They've made a couple. And I think I've, I, I just sort of imagined. But yes, I think in that one he has to steal the American Constitution or the Declaration of Independence or something. I just read National Treasure Three is happening. Excellent. And Disney are behind it. Excellent. Directed by John Turtletaub and produced by Jerry Bruckheimer and there you go. And uh, allegedly, Harvey Keitel's in it. Not selling insurance, right? <laughs> uh, love, you want the direct line guy to appear in your film. Um, yeah, well, I'm sure Harvey Keitel and all his storied work is very happy to be called the direct line guy. Other insurance providers are available. Um, right, so we are... You can do this on these first shows, you know. Yeah, that's right. Beep, beep, beep. Guy and guy. Um, we are, we're, we're going through the life and career of Nick Cage um, here. And we are looking forward to, to you contributing fast. as well. So we had some tweets in already. So thank you for those. At Screen Brum, if you have any further contributions to make, any particular roles that you uh, particularly uh, think that should be. I mean, there's a, there's a very famous meme, isn't there, of him. I don't know what film it's from when his eyes are really wide and he's like, He's like just—he's just telling someone they have to work late or something. He's like the boss, but he does so with just incredible malice. That if you actually watch someone doing that in real life, you'd think this world has gone through—you know—through the <laughs> through into a parallel universe. Now I'm going to 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 talk about next film, um, and I'm going to talk about this because it's it is one of my favourite films, and it's so it's there's. It's it's kind of the high point of his uh, commercial, not necessarily commercial success, but his um, critical acclaim um, because obviously he won the Best Actor Oscar and there is no better acclaim than that. And the film, therefore, you may be aware of is 1996's Leaving Las Vegas, directed by Mike Figgis. Um I think about that film often, and I, I watched it 25 years ago. I don't know if I've seen it since, but it has certainly really stayed with me. So it's got Nick Cage and Elizabeth yeah. Shue, um, and they are both terrific. Superb. They're a doomed couple. Um, you know, it's a grim story. I won't give you too much of the overview, but, you know, it, it's 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 a it's a doomed romance. Um, it's pretty clear it's doomed. Um, there's, there's a genuinely raw love story in there. It, it's it's made bearable by their, their clear affection and understanding for each other. The, the scene where she gives him the um, hip flask is, is particularly wrenching for me. Yep. Beautiful and, and so um, so perfect, understated way of just kind of putting across their understanding. He won the Oscar for his performance. 
you know, will he win an Oscar for his role in Pig? I don't know. Maybe he will. I don't think he cares. And will he win know. an Oscar again? I think he will. He, he, he certainly. But you know, who cares anyway? But um, that's true. It's it's a great film. The characters could have been hackneyed stereotypes. That's the thing. You look at it. You know, he's a he's a, um, a sort of depressed alcoholic, and she's a kind of um, you know prostitute with a heart of gold kind of thing. And you think, oh, I've seen this kind of. It could be cliched. But both of the performances, central performance in this, make it very humane, very um, emotionally affecting, and and you know, lots of sun drenched. And again, you know, I think we'll be talking about with Wild at Heart. It's another kind of, if you like, satire on the heart of, of kind of the American dream. So again, it's set in in Hollywood. It's set in the heart of the sort of filmmaking world. But it's it's very much kind of. You know the dark side of that. It's the the kind of the superficiality of it. The everything looks beautiful. That they look beautiful. It's very shiny, but you know there's an absolute kind of moral, um, kind of spiritual void at the centre of it. So again, you know, I'm, I'm now beginning to, as we talk about this, begin to see him as a kind of chronicler. Am I getting pretentious here? Chronicler of kind of um, you know American. Um, Lack of, I don't know what word I'm looking for, but sort of, sort of, um, you know, holding a, a mirror up to perhaps things that are regarded as their as American kind of um, high points, and saying, well, maybe there's um, maybe there's a darkness behind them as well. So 1996's Leaving Las Vegas, Leaving Las Vegas. Um, I saw it at less. I remember so vividly. I saw it at Leicester Square. Um, cinema uh, and just came out of it thinking that was you know that it felt like a move to a new level of something in my mind and and so that's kind of him as you know a real a-list star bringing in um a, a you know bringing home an, uh, an oscar for a really fantastic powerful performance um there's no you know there's no kind of irony required in this um it's just a fantastic film Mm. I had it on my list. Oh, I'm sort of to spoil things. No, you're not spoiling it. I've got others. Um, 102 others. I, yeah, exactly. No, cho- no shortage. But this is... Also, I, I was making note. This is Mike Figgis. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a British director. He had, up to that point, done many thrillers and film, great films, Stormy Monday, Infernal Affairs. He also did the Browning version, which is a very different take. Um, it's interesting. I don't think as a British director, you perhaps can look into Las Vegas and you can deconstruct it in, in a certain way. This film really does de- deconstruct Las Vegas and what it's supposed mm. to stand but for. But also kind of Hollywood, the whole film. Because uh, he's a, a film writer, isn't he? Isn't it? Uh, yeah, exactly. It's all that glitz and glamour, but um, there's sort of seediness behind it. Yeah. It, and as a as a portrayal of self destruction, I find it tough. Mm. It's a tough film to watch um, because it's effectively the two performances and and the interchange interplay between the two of them. And it's and it's and it, and, and it pulls no punches because it's done in that really simple simple setup. But it's not a simple film, and um, and there's no there's um, you know it's just a hard lesson in. Um, a film that takes no prisoners on the subject of alcoholism. Mm. It's, it's horrible, actually. I, I, I get quite upset thinking about the film. Um, un, yeah, because it's unsentimental, mm. and that's very un-Hollywood. Uh, and, and, and all credit that you know, Nick Cage picked up 
the gong for this film because mm-hmm. it, you know, it, it kind of is another summation of, um, you know, atypical choices that he makes that are work, work so well for him. Um, yeah. yeah, I think it's a a very honest film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. So um, yeah, not one, not one to 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 watch if you're feeling. Um, you know, like you want a bit of bit of cheering up, I, uh, perhaps, or maybe you know. I don't have it on DVD because it's not the sort of film I'd want to go back and watch yeah. again, because it's it isn't a joyous experience. Mm-hmm. It's a powerful one and it's a bleak one, um, but that's the point, I think. That is the point. I'm going to play a little bit of music from it, and then we'll be back. Uh, and Tim telling us one of his uh, kind of mid-era. Uh, cage classics and um, this this film uh, this this track is uh, lonely teardrops by michael mcdonald and it's characteristically ace Lonely Teardrops by Michael McDonald, and that appears in the soundtrack to Leaving Las Vegas. That's because we're talking all things Nick Cage today on the Screen Brum Show here on Brum Radio. Whilst I've got your attention, I want to say one other thing, which is that although Tim and I are extremely professional, we don't get paid for this. We do this because we... Love it. And we love talking to you guys. Um, But it does cost money to keep the station running. It costs money to pay for all of the stuff and the electricity and all that. So if you are enjoying this or any of the other Brum Radio shows, please do go to our website. And there is an option there, the Brum Radio website, to support um, Brum Radio. You can click on uh, the Patreon and various things, I think. But we would appreciate that, even if it's just providing a coffee for Tim and myself so that we can stay up late watching Nick Cave. That doesn't sound, Nick Cage. Yeah, there's two middle Both little. options are great. They are, they are. I'd like to see Nick Cage play Nick Cave. That would be something. With the Nick, with the Nick Cave soundtrack. Yeah. And script. And a John Cale soundtrack. John Cage. Directed by John Hillman <laughs> in yeah. Australia. Yeah. Where where he plays Nick Cage, a Cage. plays an Aussie accent. Yeah, with Cage fighting. Russell Crowe is the bad guy. Yes, I'm, I'm Hollywood... Your screenwriting, your next screenwriting star is Actually, here. Not Russell Crowe's the bad guy. Take that back. Oh, Russell Crowe, he's a he's a great bad guy. Anyway, we've been going through kind of stages. We've been doing sort of the the tale of Nicolas Cage as he progressed as an actor. It's John Hillcoat, not John Hillman. Sorry. Um, we've just talked about <laughs> the um, very dusty again. Um, this is all niche, boring niche stuff. Sorry, everyone. Um, the um, we've talked about the kind of the zenith, the apogee of his career, perhaps as a sort of commercial or critical success, not, uh, anyway, in Leaving Las Vegas in 1996, then something happened. Something happened that transformed his public, perce- his public persona. Jerry Bruckheimer happened. Jerry Bruckheimer happened. So what, what would you say is the next, the next thing? Really unexpected when you think it happened directly after the Leaving Las Vegas. The cheesy action films of the 90s, man. The, the, the action explosion? My, you know, that's... that's you know, as in my growing up, my formative era, that was the kind of era that I 
probably most relate to in terms of the films I saw in Nicolas Cage before I started to get big into Nick Cage's oeuvre. I mean, you've got 1996, you've got got an Oscar-winning performance for uh, a sensitive, humane, wrenching portrayal of of alcohol, self-destructive alcoholism. Then in the same year, yeah, you had The Rock, yeah, um, where he runs around Alcatraz. The one Michael Bay film I can tolerate. Um, and then the following Discuss. year, you had two <laughs> classics: Con Air, when he runs around with a greasy mullet. That and, cast is amazing. And then Face Off, which is a ludicrous film. Um, John Woo. Face Off is nineteen ninety nine, isn't it? Ninety seven, I think. It was the same year as Con Air. Oh yes, the ninety seven. So, so back. we've got all of these. Yeah. So you've got Leaving Las Vegas, The Rock, Con Air, and Face Off in the space of two years. Yeah. So, so this is the this is the kind of the next cage of stage of cage <laughs> we're talking about. And uh, and have you got a, have you got a film that you want to kind of put into this as as the kind of? Uh, I I just picked one out of this particular era because I I'm I'm very fond of this era. Mm-hmm. Um, they are you know all all the all the Brookheimer films. Um, I have a certain fondness uh, this era. You know the Cage films. I have a certain fondness for because. They are um, big budget. The the um, they're fun. The the scripts are sharp. The action scenes are great. There are good characters as well as great casting in it. <laughs> big big name at character. You know, so you know I could have picked Con Air. I could have picked The Rock. The Rock is basically short about Sean Sean Connery coming up and being the sh- who's, who's the baddie in that me. as well? There's a big that's Ed Harris. Ed Harris. But you know Ed Harris. When he turns up, you know something's not right, right? You know he's a bad guy and he's going to be he's going to be bad. Because it's Ed Harris. He's the quintessential bad guy. Villain. Oh, but there's a twist in that as well. Ah, yes. Anyway, I went with Face Off. Um, sorry, I got the year wrong. I don't know why I thought it was 1990 in my head. I'm really thinking about it. Um, this is one of the... This is pure... This is a popcorn film. Um, this is uh, just the, the uh, 90s action boom in uh, kind of uh, microcosm. Uh, and, yeah, you think about this for a second, all right? This film was John Rue's... John Rue's third, I think, American feature. mm and he's one of the craziest games of cat and mouse, bringing together John Travolta. Think about this a minute. John Travolta, not not the most hinged guy, and Nicolas Cage. Take that and then twist it by taking the, uh, getting them to act each other and so each other's mannerisms. Th- they, are, they are literally, literally swapping faces in this film. Yeah, which they? makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. <laughs> they're, like, they're completely uh, different size and, and shape. Know, height is different, everything, isn't it? I, there are many things I find troublesome about this movie, but that doesn't matter because it, it, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's John Woo and it's Matt. And um, the direction, the camera work uh, are brilliant in this film. And I think it, it's kind of effortlessly paced. And f- and it transitions from one close-up face shot to a slow-mo action shot to a shot reverse shot with some kung fu and some action and some guns and some ultra-violence. And, um, and they have... Travolta and Cage have so much fun trying to overact and out out overact each other throughout the the length of this film. And you you do they do make you believe that they occupy the skin of the other man. They mm. are that good in this film, I mm. think. Um, uh, a couple of other things, yeah. The film is a complete mess. Again, I don't care. I I kind of um, I revel in the fact that the film is is overact, overwrought, crazy because you're having a good time and it's fun. 
Um, the the plot doesn't really make a lot of sense either. You know, you know this idea of a super secret counterterrorism unit that isn't super or secret going after the world's greatest assassin who doesn't appear to be that greatest assassin. <laughs> you know, he's certainly not uh, not a hidden figure in the shadows, is it? Uh, no, isn't it a bit when he dresses as a as a priest and sort of headbangs to some um, nuns or something. Yeah, yeah, that's what that's one of the most animate that's that's a, a very giffy moment in mm. the in the mem area of uh, cageism. Yeah. yeah. Um and uh, you know the the thing that someone thought wrote out and made the idea of surgically switching faces well done to that person because it makes the film and it's um explained so, in, so in breathless detail in a manner that makes no sense but If cares? you haven't seen it the essential the central point is uh, um they both play, both Nick Cage and um, John Travolta play each other in the sense that they, one of them's a cop and the other one's a robber. And <laughs> they, um, you know, under some very sort of hastily explained sort of surgical procedure, they swap faces. They literally swap faces and, and, and roles. And so they, they both get to play goody and baddie. Um, in the in this, this this sort of film, as they face off against each other, um, and um, yes, it is barking. Mad. It's you know, and also yes, barking mad. It's it has it's kind of heroism and villainy, and yeah, it's just mad and sort of balletic action scenes. Action sequences. Yeah, it's, just, it's, it's, it's a very lazy description because that's what people always say about John Woo, but um, I'm saying it anyway, so it's true. Yeah, and. Uh, you know, it's a it's a really um, you know it's the, the yeah the dazzling. I think it's actually the, the performances of the two leading men that make this film. Mm-hmm. It is totally bonkers, and those two feel, they t- they totally knew that and did it. And, and <laughs> this is a point when John Travolta was at a kind of high point of renaissance as well, wasn't it? Post Pulp you know? Fiction. Yeah, when he was sort of really back in in you know he'd been very successful in the seventies and then sort of gone away a bit and then he's came back um with an absolute vengeance with with films like this um i'm very much agreeing with you on this one tim i oh, think sorry, battlefield earth wasn't it that was the dreadful film not mission to mars battlefield earth well little mission to mars. yeah john Which Fulton. kind of uh, kind of uh, yeah weird weird <laughs> yeah well that's not nick cage so we're not that's not on our agenda today no, but i mean just thinking of those three films so my my kind of choice here is the kind of if you like the the tr- the trilogy of those films the rock um, there's a there's an amazing bit in there when love the rock isn't there an amazing sequence in there when he's like in a kind of um, glass room um, and there's gas and he has to kind of um, defuse a bomb um, whilst everyone's freaking out and he's just in there um, in this kind of gassy um, room desperately trying to save the world um, brilliant and Conair he's um, he plays a an ex con who is about to be released, but um, John um, John Malkovich. Let's just say that again. John Malkovich. Yes, in an action film, is the baddie yeah. um, uh, right, who, who faces off against John Malkovich and then face off again. What a what a sequence! And this is the point where you know suddenly he became you know this action hero, which he's been plowing. This furrow has been plowing pretty much ever since, or has been returning to. Um, and again, you know, what a choice to make after after you've made these, um, you know, critically acclaimed drama to it's go right. Amazing go. cast, Conair. You think about it, you've got uh, Steve Buscemi in it, and John it? Cusack and Ving Rhames. <laughs> it's so good. It's such a great cast. Um, and that again, I, it's another film that 
Uh, Con Air again is I, I I think it's a great amount of fun. I don't think it's a great movie. It's all over the place, but it's that casting mm. and the fun that everyone's having, the, and, the, and, it, and it's and it's and it's very te- you know. I've just got that written down on my notes here as well. Great, great fun. All these films are just you know this sort of you know microcosm. If you look at these three films in in order, you know it's The Rock, um, Con Air, and and, and Face Off. They're a kind of microcosm of his career as well. You know, they're increasingly unhinged. They get more and more kind of crazy. And, and he works with odd fellow actors in all of them that you probably wouldn't expect in each of these roles as well. You know, that's just, it's just like, you know, things that you just didn't quite see coming is, is kind of what Nick Cage is all about. And I say there was, there was a trajectory of this with action films in the late, in the 1990s because mm. they were all riffing off the Die Hard theme initially, you're right? They all riffed off, you know, Con Air riffs off Die Hard too and, and Die Hard becomes a riff for many films that followed. But what's happening is they're ramping up the crazy, the silliness of the films yeah. and, the, and the scale of them and everyone knows that, everyone who's making the films know that they're preposterous but they're yeah. going with it because of the fun element. And at some point... At some point in the trajectory of action films, I will say, this with Nick Cage as well, he got to that zenith with face-off. And then the next era, the next stage of Cage kicked in. But it also it was also um, um, the same with action films because I think Bourne happened and Jack and uh, Jack Bauer happened. Yeah. And, and it, you know, it brought everything back to... And then to the Bond a, reboot. The all, Bond reboot. And yeah. you can see that all these kind of things. That, everything had to be But then again, we realistic. still get the Fast and Furious films. Yes. And we still get Jason Statham. Yes. Um, you know, which, you know, we still get the, um, those kinds of films, mm. you know. Which, but they're all pokey fun, preposterous too. So yeah, well. yeah. Well, there's, there's room for it all. Let's not... Jason uh, Statham. Jason um, Statham is the new Nick Cage. Discuss... No. No. Okay. Um, Jason Statham basically plays the same Jason Statham. Um, and I like that. The Stath. The Stath. Is that I what he's known? Stath. I think that's yeah. his, um, that's his uh, kind I'm of... Gonna, I'm going to catch that shark. I'm going to kill you. I'm, I'm going to go... Punch that shark. I'm punch that shark. I'm going to... Jason Statham. Isn't it, I think... Is it... Because the, the, I, I saw the trailer for the next one of the... Um, um, the, the Fast and Furious films. I can't believe it's him... Is it him and this, the the Rock have got some they've got some um, contract that they're not allowed to lose fights to each other in films. That's right. Um, but this one bit I can't remember if it's something, who it something. is. I mean, it's a makeup. I where um, yeah, I'm sure. But there's one of these things um, where the, he gets like basically just just sort of hits a car, like punches a car away or something. You know, it's just kind of it's uh, <laughs> you know great yeah. great stuff. You know, if you're into that kind of thing. Um, why the Rock keeps doing power. these films so he doesn't, you know, everyone says, The Rock for president. No, he's going to keep acting. Keep, yeah, yeah. And we all we all like Dwayne The Rock Johnson as well. He's Mr. Dependable. Yes. So there we are. That's that's our next slice of the stage of Cage. Um, it's the kind of action hero. The, the, the... Did you actually go for one film there? I went for three. I went for the, you those went, you three. You actually did the whole trial. I did it. those. I, I said those three together. Okay. That's kind of nice symbolising that twist, yeah, yeah. that nice sudden, way. that sudden vault fast, not vault fast, but that sudden sort of change in in direction. To well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have seen this coming. And they're all, they're all a lot of fun. I want to know the 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 the, uh, the the film intellects that are listening in, because we know we get a few. What they think of the. Uh, what I call the classic VHS era, Nicolas Cage action, 90s oeuvre, and what they think of it. Yeah. I reckon they all love it. Yeah, well, most of them. Not, not, there's no such thing. We, we must stress that. There's no such thing on this is an official screen pop. What about Lucy thinks? Screen brum policy. Lucy, what do you think of I'm that? Not sure, I'm not sure whether Lucy's listening, <laughs> but um, there's no such thing as a guilty pleasure. 
there is no such thing as a guilty That's pleasure. That's true. We don't, we don't agree with that as an idea. Um, so these are great action movies, and um, they're great fun, and, um, you know, do not expect to take them that seriously. And if you, if you don't do that, then you'll have a lot of fun with them. Um, you know, you don't sit there and analyse the realism uh, or not of um, Face Off, because uh, it's probably... As I always say to my son whenever he asks why something happens in a film, it's not a documentary. I remember that. I'm going to play some music from it now. I'm going to change the pace up a little bit. So um, but this is from Face Off, um, and it's not a high-octane, pumping uh, rock track for a change. It's a little bit of Mozart, okay? <laughs> We are. This is um, Mozart from the Magic Flute from um, the soundtrack to Face Off. And if you haven't seen the film, all you need to know really is that's the sort of thing where you see lots of show, slow motion gun battles happening too. Um, um, and uh, that is you know, Jean Rue in a nutshell. So there we have it. That we, We've been going through the... Uh, I'm going to keep saying the stages of Cage because I feel quite pleased with it. Uh, and we're, we're, we're getting on to kind of perhaps the final Cage stage to date. There's many more things to come. The come down from the Hollywood. <laughs> well, there's... I mean, we what haven't... Are you it? What we haven't done is we haven't talked about... We've talked about Nicolas Cage, the actor, which is obviously the main thing. But Nicolas Cage, the kind of, if you like, the man, the, the kind of figure, the, the kind of um, tabloid staple and everything, you know, the, the marriages, the bankruptcy, all that kind of stuff. One of the things I'd say about him is, you know, so, you know, everyone sort of thinks he's a wild, wacky character spending $150,000 on a pet octopus and so forth. But, you know, he's never had any scandals that I'm aware of. He's never kind of... You know, there's never any sense that he's a sort of, you know, anything other than just a bit of an eccentric guy that just loves acting. Yeah. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't get onto politics. He doesn't get onto, he doesn't, doesn't seem to have any kind of scandals. He just, he just, just does acting. So, you know, although, you know, he has this kind of, you know, everyone, well, many people may remember his entrance into Wogan. Um, in the in the 80s. Um, those of you uh, the same vintage of me... You've got to check that on YouTube. Man. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, it's do. This is So Wogan was a... It was Terry Wogan's chat show that was on. It was very kind of, you know... Yeah, it was very kind of, um, you know, people from EastEnders coming on and talking. It was very straightforward, if you like. And then he comes on... I'm posting it And on he, he does on. some kung fu kicks, sort of cheers a bit and throws money into the audience. Um, yeah. And, and sort of sits down whooping whilst Terry Wogan looks somewhat uh, somewhat confused. But yes, he had all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it all seems, you know, it all seems, it, none of that seems as more interesting than his films because his antics on the screen are all there for, for you to see. You don't really need the kind of, he doesn't have that large, all right, yeah, so he goes to see, he's got his own tomb. You know, so what? You know, it, I, 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 he's one of those, he's one of those kind of, you know, as I say, these kind of, wild men of film that really all his wildness seems to be on screen i don't know what do you think is it is there anything interesting about him beyond his screen do you think well you know there should probably shouldn't be i don't think he ever he ever wants to sell himself as a celebrity you know he probably not. is 
He is a celebrity, yeah. Yeah, and I. And he turned on the Christmas he, lights you know, somewhere. He once. is, yeah. I don't know what was it like chipping candles, or something, something like I, that. I, yeah. I, I, I just, you know, I'm less in. I'm not really interested in people's private mm. lives, and, uh, you know, you get the sense the guy is an eccentric. I mean, you just look at, the, you know, you've got to be an eccentric to to do the things that he does. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm less, I'm, I'm really less bothered about yeah. it. If he's not, you know, he's not breaking the law. He's just, he's a guy that's gone through a lot of um, troubles in his life. You know, it's very, very publicly known that he, you know, he's lost a lot of money on mm. things that he has done, and um, in a reflect, in, in it reflects kind of in, and maybe it does reflect in the guy and the choices that he's done, the films that he has done. They are a mixed bag. There are films here that are classics, and there are films here that are not. Um, and we're not talking about them today. We know, no, we, by all means, well, we will touch on them. But we'll touch on because them. that is the that is the the next cage stage. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I, I realised I, I, when we started the process of this and I was doing research, I thought, I don't know any Nick Cage films, really. I just know a few. And, I know, and then I realised I hadn't seen a lot because he's made so many. And he's worked with everybody. And he has. He hasn't worked with Spielberg yet. No. Um, I can't see that coming off anytime soon. He's worked soon. with everyone else. Yeah. Um, who knows? I mean, he he can do anything. But, for Tom Hanks and some. <laughs> yeah, just just <laughs> the some nicest sort of man. Quiet, quiet every man. Yeah. Um, he could do it. I'm sure he could. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to do some sort of honourable mentions, um, sort of pick from different points of his career of the films I really liked yeah. that we haven't mentioned, um, which could well be um, top fives. Um, a lot of people didn't like 8mm, um, Joel Schumacher film, which is I was really I really did, um, and similarly Snake Eyes, which is a Brian De Palma film, which opens with a big long. Well, that's single the, that's shot. the best bit of the film. Is yeah, the, the, the opening twenty minute um, single shot. Yeah, yeah, which is very much a Hitchcocky. Yeah, you know, the, the typical De Palma Hitchcockian thing. It's really nicely done. Mm. Um, I don't remember much about the rest of the film. Yeah, he's perfectly fine. And he's quite good. I remember thriller. him being really good in those boxing sequences at the start, yeah. and then the murder happened, or then the, the scene happens. And yeah, the, the then when he plays kind of um, uh, troubled and hangdog, uh, bringing out the dead, which is a sort of lesser well-known, oh, lesser well-watched Scorsese. I again, this was on my yeah, this was in this was my fifth choice. Um, I was going to go with some other films, but I just wanted to make a mention of this film because it gets oh, it gets um, overlooked in the um, the Scorsese Schrader. It does. Um, so this is a film where he plays a New York uh, ambulance or paramedic. Yeah, it's not ER. Um, <laughs> but actually, it's quite quite turning. I say that I say that because this was the time of ER. Yeah. And I think it's it so real sort of late nineties, isn't it? It's set in early nineties New yeah, York. But so this was it a, came out in the late nineties. It came out in two thousand and it, or ninety nine, two thousand. Um, and it's set in early nineties New York, so it hadn't undergone the um, the Renaissance. It yeah. hadn't undergone the sort of the Giuliani Bloomberg era of yeah. New Yorkism high high police. So it's all seedy and kind yeah. of uh, Serpico type of thing. I was I'm sure if that's New York. And you know when I watched Joker. Uh, a few months ago, I and then looked at the portrayal of New York in the seventies and the kind of uh, protest-ridden um, poverty and all the sort of portrayal of New York in the seventies. I actually was minded of this film a little bit. 
Mm. Um, so Scorsese is working with Shredder, and you know, with with these the collaboration is kind of you know you got your Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, Last Temptation of Christ. All these films have. Um, what well, we should just just say in case people don't know when we say these things like Shredder is this is we're talking about Paul Shredder, the Paul Shredder. writer. Yes, who works often with Martin Scorsese, the director, and we're big fans of him on this show because we talk about many of his films. Um, he likes to, to portray intense, driven protagonists, um, but also facing down, looking at very the particular personal situations, reckonings uh, that they're in. You know, um, bringing out the dead. Um, is an adaptation of a Joe Connolly novel, and it's about a depressed paramedic uh, and what he goes through and the world that he inhabits. Um, and again, who else would you cast as a depressed paramedic and the ghoulish, deadly, nasty world? Um, uh, it's a kind of return to taxi driver territory, isn't it? Yes, that very much so. CD. And it is that again another portrayal of New York, mm. um, and um, the character you know longing you know and again the moral compass of Nick Cage, which again actually doesn't get talked about, and I'm going to mention this again with another film in a minute. This moral compass where, like with um, other films I mentioned, like with Raising Arizona, he's longing for good, and he's longing to do the right thing, but the circumstances. And he's in are not the right are not good circumstances. He's not that he's doing silly things. He's a paramedic, but there's darkness underneath all mm. of that. Um, and uh, he's dwelling in an you know he's in, he's either he's it's basically a film about the night world of mm. New York, and um, he's seen and seen and he's lost so many lives, and um, and he just re- he just reaches that kind of and again it's a spiritual thing which is Schrader to the T, the idea of um, male a male character collapsing mm-hmm. and but seeking um, redemption, seeking yeah. redemption, yeah, classic Schrader, mm-hmm. and it's really good. Mm. I think it's um it's it's under you watch this alongside the other films and watch it alongside uh, in Schrader's work. It's, it kind of works mm. really well. Mm. And Scorsese, of course, excellent. You know, real portrayal of the street, portrayal of um, New York. Scorsese is a master of that. And and it's very dark. I mean, it's all yeah. nighttime. It's very literally dark, isn't it? You know, yeah. and you look. It, Nick Cage looks like he's never, you know, he's not seen the sun for three years or something. He's sort of pale, and he probably method acted that by doing that. Yeah, but yeah, yeah I, uh, I'm yeah. This was my fifth choice because I am a big fan, and uh, yeah, it, it works really well in the context of the other films that uh, these two directors have mm. done. Yeah. Oh, sorry. These two. These two collaborators. I mean, it it, it does. You know, it, in terms of this sort of slightly, well, very shoehorned um, chronology that we've been trying to hammer on here, it doesn't fit into that really because, you know, it, it it's a kind of classic dramatic role. It's 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 not got all the kind of mugging and and and, and extremes perhaps of some of the other characters that he's portraying as sort of later on. But um, but yeah, I suppose it is quite early, isn't it? So nineteen ninety nine, two thousand time. So um, it's you not, are right. Yeah, it's not far after the but kind in of sense, Las Vegas era. I think it is a re- it is a kind of return of you know it's it, it's a it's a bringing together of the of the things that we we know and love about Scorsese and kind of um, the preoccupations that he has. It's a bringing together of his work with Schrader and looking at um, characters going through a decline and looking for redemption, and it's also 
um, working with Nicolas Cage and mm-hmm. the 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 multi layered approach that he brings to his characters. Who's the, the isn't there, who's the co star with that? Isn't he got a partner? Patricia in? Arquette, right, and John Goodman um, are both in it. Yeah, um, and also Ving Rhames. Hmm. This was big Ving Rhames time. Yeah, he's in a lot of really cool stuff. He was. Um, but yeah, I it is a you know I think it's it's not a masterpiece in my opinion, but it's it's certainly um, it it didn't get the, d- the attention that it deserved. I well, think I think it's I think it's very very smart and and obviously very very technically proficient. We're rectifying that here on the Screen Broom Show um, by telling you all to go and watch Bringing Out the Dead. Very interesting thing. Um, another kind of honourable mention, um, again in the kind of I don't know. Um, it, 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 I can't really picture anyone else doing this. Camp is an uh, adaptation. Lovely. Yeah. I, I imagine if Lucy was here, she would have picked this. Yeah. So this is where he plays a dual role. He plays yes, Charlie and Donald. Um, so he plays. He plays. So this is a, this is a book. Sorry, this is a, a script written by Charlie Kaufman. Yeah. And he plays Charlie Kaufman and also Charlie Kaufman's, I believe, fictional twin brother. Um, writing, who, who are trying to write a film. It's all very kind of tricksy and, and you know postmodern, and probably sounds really irritating, but it isn't. It's very funny and, and warm. Meryl Streep as well, right? Well, I imagine yeah. it's Meryl Streep, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so you know, it's got some some absolute A grade uh, acting in it, and uh, that's a, that's another one that we can choose. Um, you know, again, it's a kind of great acting performance um it's quite over the top um i'm going to try and do something which i've never done before on the screen Brum show which is trying to sync together two clips so i'm going to try and play some music from adaptation this is um but i'm actually going to try and get uh, a little bit of the old um uh tom uh, nick cage singing going on so just have a go and see if you can work out what, what's going on here. What's Jesus and Einstein? Imagine me and you. I do. Come on. I think about you day and night. It's only right. Come on, sing with me. To think about the one you love and hold her tight. So happy to get... The turtles happy together, as introduced by Nick Cage singing it to himself um, from the uh, the soundtrack to Adap- adaptation. Let's get that adaptation. Adaptation, it's called, isn't it? Um, so, thank you. We're coming to the end of the show now. We've, we've just got a few more honourable mentions to kind of talk about in our in our Nick Cage um, celebration, um, and 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 it's the last. The current stage, if you like, of 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 Nick Cage, which is the the kind of not to say churning them out. That sounds very pejorative, but you know he's incredibly productive of relatively. Oh, I don't know why I'm trying to words I'm trying to use here that sound don't sound negative, but you know he's producing quite a lot of of films in a short order, often not necessarily getting cinema releases. I think. Um, and and sometimes you know brief a bit of publicity and disappearing without trace, and a lot of kind of films that are, that have kind of very action oriented 
uh, titles. But I want to choose a film that's changed my perception of him and life and acting in general, which was which I've talked about on the show before, which is Mandy, which is a film that came out I think last, I think nineteen, uh, I think two years ago maybe, um, and is a truly insane psychedelic horror, which is just just sort of brain melting and and, and colourful and and horrendous and and, and powerful with um what a, what an amazing performance from him in it. You know, he, he kind of he does something just something spectacular with acting in it, I think, in that he portrays this, again this incredibly larger than life character. Um and does so in a way that just that just that's just heart wrenching. I loved it. Um and in the spirit of that, I'm off to see The Colour Out of Space tonight, which is another kind of um, bright psychedelic horror that he has done. Wouldn't be something I would normally go and see because, as regular listeners know, I'm an abject coward. But um, I just want to see how, you know, how Nick Cage versus an evil alien colour um, goes because, you know, that could be phenomenal, right? I'm looking forward to it. So that's just what I wanted to mention, really, as my number five. And the other thing, the other reason that that film um, deserves your attention um, is it's got a brilliant soundtrack. It's the final um, score done by Johan Johansson before his untimely demise. And um, it's, it's a great, um, spooky, spare listen. Um, in fact, I'm just going to I'm just going to play a bit because you just need to know the kind of vibe I'm talking about. But we'll probably have to talk about it. You see where I'm coming from here. Giving you another idea of the kind of thing we're talking about. This track is called Seeker of the Serpent's Eye. So, Tim, have you seen Mandy? I know we've talked about this before. I'm not sure if have you seen it. No. Oh well, you you need to get on that, mate. I know. I'm. I'm. I feel like I'm amongst our circle. I feel like I'm in a very, very. In a minority of people who haven't seen Mandy yet. It is. It, it is. It looks a, like a film I know I'd love, and uh, I believe it came out on uh, on VHS. Yeah. Um, when it was released, because it is um, so eighties. It is yeah, yeah. such an eighties kind of. Yeah. aesthetic not just film you know it's mm. got animation in it it's really oddly lit it's fantastic yeah strong strong recommendation and a great Nick Cage performance uh, and, and very much full on late era Nick Cage very uh, visible visible I just keep paranoid that I'm saying things that make it sound like I'm being insulting to him and I really do not want to do that so apologies if, if I'm saying that I'll just emphasise that um, but there we go. That is my number five, and it ties in with the fact that he's he's got this film out, The Colour Out of Space, just come out. He's still got about another six films coming out after this um, that he's already finished, I think. So quite how many you'll see in the cinema? Oh yes, I don't know. yeah. Well, I'm as long as Pig, as long as I get to see Pig about him. Straight to straight to subscription channel. Straight to streaming, but you know what? That that doesn't mean what it used to mean. Yeah. Um, you know, you you know, look at the Irishman. That was straight to screaming. Oh, look at Marriage Story. You know, we start reading off the Netflix. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, um, don't worry about that. Great. 
so there we go. That is that is our um, our final specific choice in our rundown. But I know you've got some other oh ones. God, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I picked these five, and then I, you know, I could have picked another five, frankly. Um, not, so there's, there is, I think, there's another era of Cage that you can put within this other era of Cage that you've talked about. Um, but I'll come to that. Uh, honorable mention would also be Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans, which is uh, Werner Herzog's um, remake of. Um, is it a remake? Or yeah, it was a kind of reimagining shtick, whatever you want to call it, reboot, reimagining riff on Abel Ferrara's uh, Bad Lieutenant with Harvey Keitel. So imagine, if you will, set in New York, set in the sweaty heat, heat of New Orleans, um, and I think I like again. Cage working with Herzog um, is a wonderful uh, premise in and of itself, right? And, and, then, um, and then and then it's full on like crack it's, smoking. It's kind of it's 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 yeah, it's crack pipe coke snorting. He's playing a madman who is basically a crime fighter. New Orleans is a dirty place, um, and um, you know only a, you know. Uh, only a kind of mad man would be audacious enough to follow Harvey Keitel in the original, but Nick Cage is that kind of lunatic kind of guy to do that. Um, and again, I think that he is really unhinged in this film. And um, I think it's great that Herzog is the guy to kind of frame it and make it happen. Mm-hmm. So it's a really, it's 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 a it's a really strong piece of work and really? and, and a really really kind of darkly comic, but at times not so dark, not so comic film. Um, yeah, so yeah, Bad Lieutenant Port of Call New Orleans is worth looking at for oh. sure. Um, into the two into the twenty tens, I think there's another era of Cage here, which is Cage's dad as a dad. Um, there are, th- um, I think, three films here that I want to just quickly catch on. So I want to talk about Kick-Ass, and I want to talk about Joe, and I want to talk about Mum and Dad. Um, so um, Kick-Ass, you've seen Kick-Ass, right? The, f- the thing that's really important, again, another aspect of Cage, and we've talked about it already, is the moral compass Cage. His dad, the, the um, you know, Big Daddy, as he's called in the film. So this is a kind of a sort of... Not spoof, but a superhero film. It's a comic. It's a it's a it's a it's a nasty comic adaptation of the comic book Kickass. You know about an e- about everyday weirdos, geeks who decide to become real world superheroes, and this one guy who, um, played by Aaron Johnson, who decides to become you know become a superhero, get a suit. And um, uh, and o- opens himself up to this criminal underworld that he didn't expect or didn't really anticipate uh, to um, extreme circumstances, and meets uh, Chloe Chloe Moretz's uh, kick um, hit girl, uh, who, who is the, who is to be fair, is the standout in the whole film. She's so uh, full up, she, you know, full on. And is Nick Cage her dad? Is Nick that- Cage plays her dad. And what we what I love about this character um, is the fact that he's a good cop, but happens to be a guy who does bad things, and he's and he actually has a, a moral center because the rest of the film has no moral center, mm. at, and that's the point of it. it um, it's a very unhinged film, um, and he's and he's actually very touching as a patriarch, and he's ju- he's a justice seeking patriarch. <laughs> It's slightly contradictory that I call him a moral compass when he teaches his daughter to kill people. 
and 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 handle guns. But you know, in that kind of cage, teaching him that that's the right thing to do, and that's what you should do. Um, we don't endorse this behaviour. No, it's a, it's you know, it's it's a it's a sort of um, moral, a contradictory moral heart of an or- amoral film. So kick ass. Mm-hmm. Another film to see is Joe. If you haven't seen Joe, so this is um, David Gordon's Green, David Gordon Green's film. Um, he plays a. He becomes a father figure to a young boy. He plays a, a, an alcoholic. A, he's got he's hairy, he's bearded, he's grizzly, he's tr- um, um, and uh, it's a much needed reminder that you know. Um, he can be. It's about a coming of age character drama, you know, where he becomes his father figure, and it's a very, cha- very challenging and juicy role that kind of reminds us that Cage is a great actor and he has big personality. So I really recommend Joe. And then finally, because I know we're running out of time, Mum and Dad. I mentioned it at the start of the show. Um, it's kind of a horror comedy. I've not heard of this. Is um, it? And it's, it's basically it has Nicolas Cage and Selma Blair. And they play parents who um, they become kind of embittered about sacrificing their own needs and happiness for the sake of their children. And it just comes to a head um, when basically a meteor inspires, um, basically a meteor inspires sane mothers and fathers to murder their own children uh, for a sort of a 24 hour um, span. And it's um, what it is, though, again, it's Cage is a demented dad. Um, but whereas there is moral compass in Kickass, or amoral and amoral moral compass, there's, there's no uh, moral compass at all here. It's it's completely unhinged. It's kind of bonkers dad territory. What I like about it is it, it tells us that there's no there's no uh, knowing where Cage is going next in his career. It, it's mm. it epitomised in the fact you've got you know six projects that potentially are going to be six different aspects to Cage. Yeah. I think he's never been as busy, and and it's great to see. A little bit of a of a sort of scratching the surface, really, of yeah. th- of the work of of Nick Cage. So there's plenty to dive into. So we've hope we've given you a few kind of start points. Um, um, I want to sign off with um, something from the soundtrack to Joe, um, and this is by Explosions in the Sky, who I'd heard of before, but I'd never actually and listened. Now become one of your favourite yeah. bands. Well, I I just assumed from the name that there were going to be some sort of hard rock kind of pounding kind of sort of quasi metal band um but it's not like that at all it's very cinematic and i like it very much oh well, i'm looking forward to the next stage of cage's career which is cage as a granddad mm. when, we, when we get there you think he'll become like really kind of a gentle avuncular figure i'd like to see him doing that kind of thing he might do that yeah. I suspect he'll do other things as well. <laughs> I suspect he will. And um, and we're very glad that he does. So thank you very much uh, for listening. We hope you have enjoyed the show. Um, do keep uh, do do subscribe on, uh, on the podcast and all that. Um, we really appreciate it. Um, thank you very much uh, for your tweets. And uh, thank you, Tim. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you out there. And we're going to sign off with uh, Who Knew Joe from the soundtrack to Joe. <laughs>